You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read it from the church Bible, so I'll find the page number for you. Right, it's uh, page number 1042. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down for the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He then put a man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. How many of you have heard sermons on this passage already? Just put your hands up if you've heard a sermon. Right. How many of you have preached on this passage already? Right. Okay. Yeah, okay. I am... Um, don't know how I've come to this passage, really. It was a matter of panic. Uh, I'd forgotten I was preaching this Sunday. I thought it was another Sunday, hence. And I was still thinking about preaching last Sunday uh, at Montrose. And uh, I came to the evening service and I saw in the announcements, they made a mistake. I'm preaching next week. And I happened to be reading uh, as a result, for background for the sermon at Montrose, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when... What am I going to preach on came up to my mind, and Harry asked me, what are you going to preach on? I said, the Good Samaritan. And he said, so am I. <laughs> and I don't think he meant it. It was a joke. But 
So I'm going to preach today on the woman at the well. All right, Harry. What struck me afresh in this parable is the, is the, um, the theme of mercy. That's why I went to it in the first place, because uh, I was thinking about mercy. And I want, us to, um, I want us to consider showing mercy and what that means in this parable and for ourselves. And I want us to, to look at the embodiment of mercy in the story that Jesus tells. And then I want to try and apply it to our lives in terms of our love and our lifestyle. Um, and uh, then I want us to consider Jesus and his relationship to the parable. So, the meaning of the story is one of mercy. Uh, that's what I understand it from um, in the question that Jesus asks in uh, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And in verse 37, the one who had mercy on him. And so what we see in the story of the man going down from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, getting beaten up and being passed by and then rescued, is the embodiment of, of mercy. It's a picture of mercy and We'll come back to the implications of that uh, later on. But I just want us to see the, the, the contours of mercy that are um, described in the story. What do we understand about mercy? Well, the big thing about mercy is undeserved. Um, that's maybe not quite so obvious, but I'm going to try and show how that is the case. It's, first of all, it's unexpected um, that's the whole point of the Samaritan who comes along. It's totally unexpected. Uh, now, some people trying to modernize the, par- uh, the parable would make it a matter of good versus bad. You know, so you've got, uh, you know, you've got bad people that go past on the other side. And so they would say, well, um, uh, you know, so you've got the good people that go past on the other side. They say, well, a doctor was coming down the road. He saw him, but he had, a, he had a, an emergency to go to. So he went across. He didn't stop. Or a social worker came down and had a case study to do and saw that and walked by another side. Or a minister of religion came along and he had a sermon to prepare and couldn't stop, so he went off. So they try and make it like good and bad. And then the bad person, the unexpected person came along. Well, I suppose in, in, uh, in Sinclair's day, it might have been Hell's Angels. You remember them? But in my day, it was Chelsea footballers, uh, football supporters. Today, it might be ISIS a member of ISIS came along. That's how you might, you know, people might say modernize the parable. But that's missing the point. It's not about good and bad. It's about unexpected. Um, the surprising thing is that it's a, a discussion about the law. Uh, and it's told in the context of the law and the application of the law. And you've got two experts in the law who miss the point and go down. And Jesus' initial listeners would have been waiting for, and now the layman comes along and does the thing. And it was totally unexpected. It is someone on whom there is no expectation of help. It's not that he was a bad person. It's just that he was a Samaritan from another country, someone who had no connection with the covenant law, with the whole description of uh, keeping the covenant that this 
finds itself in the context of. Somebody from outside the covenant comes along. An ignoramus of the law and the mercy that's enshrined in the law comes along and embodies the law and the covenant in what he does. It's surprising. The experts of interpretation, the one who was an expert in the law, could see the theory but didn't get the practice. And the person that was ignorant of the law, ignorant of the theory, lived to the spirit of the law, loved his neighbor as himself. Mercy is unexpected um, in the story, and it's unexpected because there are no obligations. No obligations for that man to rescue him. He, he had no ties to that man, neither from nationality, nor from family, nor from country, nor from practicality. No obligations at all, and yet showed mercy to him. Mercy is unexpected, undeserved. Uh, mercy is costly. Um, we get the point of that in the story. Costly in terms of money and danger and effort. Um, effort. He had to walk alongside his own animal while he put the man on it. He had to go and bind the wounds up and take time. He had, took care of him, Jesus said, the parable says. He considered, that, that word implies a consideration, a thinking out, getting the right means and uh, um, just the, the right ways of helping. It's not just a do what comes to my hand. It's working it out. So he took care of him. Um, it involved effort. He thought about it. I'll take care of him when I'm no longer here. I'll make sure of that. So, so there's effort involved in mercy. It's costly. It's costly in terms of him for danger. Maybe one of the reasons why they didn't stop was that, that they were perhaps quite rightly um, in danger of being robbed themselves. Let's put out someone who's half dead and we'll get somebody else. It's a kind of fitching op uh, operation uh, in those days if you're a really efficient robber or set of robbers. Um, so there's danger in waiting there. It's costly. And it's costly in terms of money. Two silver coins, two denarii. Um, in Rome, that would get you 64 days' worth of accommodation at an inn. 64 days. That's quite a, quite a lot of money, isn't it? Some people have worked out in, in Jesus' area um, that that would get you 24 days' worth of accommodation. Either way, it's a, it's a significant sum. How much does it cost to go to Travel Lodge uh, for a night? Is it 50 pounds? Would you do 24 days at 50 pounds? You're working at how much that is. Wait to get my calculator out. That's a lot of money. That, that is costly to a total stranger, someone who has no claims on you, uh, someone to whom you've got no obligation whatsoever. It's a costly thing, this rescue. Mercy is costly. And it's personal. Um, I'm going to come back to a bit more of the significance of that, but I just want to point it out to you. He put him on his own donkey, verse 37. That's, you know, that's a little emphatic hint in the story that it's personal there. And uh, the verse 33, other people passed by, but when he saw him emphatically, he took pity on him. He had compassion towards him. It was a personal 
thing, this mercy that Jesus is illustrating in the story. And then it's practical, it's, it's real, concrete actions. Mercy isn't just theoretical. Um, he bandaged the trauma. That's literally the word for wound is trauma. And that brought alive to me the fact that this wasn't just um, fake blood, tomato ketchup on an actor on the stage. Um, he was wounded. You know, somebody's wounded is not terribly um, uh, serious, maybe. But put in the word trauma and it's, you know, accident and emergency, things flashing through your mind. This idea of broken bones, of, of blood pouring out. He, he, was, he was practical towards that trauma. He, using the um, methodology of the time, he bound with bandages and put oil and wine, disinfectant and emollient uh, to soothe into the wounds. And verse 34, he took care of him, as we mentioned what that means earlier on. Mercy is practical. Um, it's interesting that... Uh, Jesus moves away from the theoretical question, wanting to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? Let's have a little discussion about this. Let's have a little Bible study. Let's sit down and just banter back and forth to one another about who the neighbor might be. What's the Hebrew for neighbor? Um, what's, the, what's the Greek? What's the, what's the um, extra biblical words for neighbor? I wonder who my neighbor might be. He moves from that theoretical discussion to who, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Mercy is about action, not just theory, not just feelings, although it does involve feelings. So here's mercy embodied for us in, the, in this short story, um, a mercy that is unexpected rescue, costly rescue, personal rescue, practical rescue. How are we going to apply that now uh, to ourselves and our situation personally and as a church? Showing mercy, what does that mean? Well, I want us, as I said, to think about it in two terms. First of all, in love. Um, what is written in the law, verse 26? Let's not forget the context in which the story is told. And he says in verse 27, well, the law is summed up, obviously, uh, with love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Which of these was a neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Love and mercy are linked together. Mercy flows out of love. Paul makes that point in Ephesians 2 uh, verse 4 when he says, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The great love of God is seen in the riches of his mercy. Love and mercy go together. They are the um, expression one of the other um, to separate them is to miss the point. And that's what Jesus very cleverly does, doesn't he? He rams that point home in the story. Love is what sees the need. 
Um, three times Jesus repeats, they saw him. Priests saw him, the Levites saw him, but the Samaritan, when he saw him, had pity and went across and helped him. Love will find a way for mercy when it sees the need. Love sees the needs. Um, it is the love of a mother that sees the need of the children or knows the need of a husband for a particular present for birthday, which he hadn't even realized he was going to get. Um, by the way, if you're listening, it's a new Bible software uh, program called Accordance. Yeah. Love sees. Love sees the need. Uh, we get insight through love, and then that provides the channel and the motivation for the rescue of mercy. Love embodied in merciful deeds. Um, love is pity driven. He had compassion on him. Mercy and, uh, and uh, has an emotional side to it. To be true mercy, it has that intensity of feeling to be real mercy. Mercy without that compassion is clinical and cold. Um, the philanthropist of G.K. Chesterton illustrates what I mean by that. He writes, If the barricades went up in our streets and the poor became masters, I think the priests would escape. I fear the gentlemen would. But I believe the gutters would simply be running with the blood of philanthropists. And what he meant by that was in his day, it became fashionable to do good to the poor. Not because you loved the poor, but because you were seen to be good to do the poor th things for the poor. It became the thing for getting tax rebates. It became the in-social activity to be seen to be doing. It didn't come from love of the poor or a desire to show mercy because of the gospel. But by and large, in his day, it was just a show-off thing and cold and cold as ice and not warmed by love at all. And so mercy without love is going to help nobody and rescue nobody. It is driven by compassion. Jesus is repeatedly described as one who is moved by the, the, the um, sight of people in need. The one who had never been touched because he was a leper and could not be touched because he was unclean was touched by Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, he reached out and touched the man. Now, isn't it interesting that the reading we had today, um, something holy touches something unholy? Does it make that other thing holy? No, of course it doesn't. But in this one case, it did. He who was holiness incarnate could not be defiled by the touch of something that was defiling and could not be defiled by the touch of sin from someone else, but in himself made that man clean by his touch. Love driven by pity and compassion seen in Jesus exemplified.
Where does our love take us in Dundee? What is it that we see are the needs of our neighborhood? Um, do we do David's, uh, our minister's thing? Do you, well, how do you pray on a bike? Well, maybe, maybe the way he drives, maybe everybody should pray. But, uh, um, you know, he, he pray, prayer cycles, doesn't he? And he goes around, and, and goes around Dundee and, and looks around and gets a feel for the place because he can see the visible signs of need, decay, um, neglect, these kind of things. Because love is local if it's nothing else. It's one thing to say, oh, my neighbor is people that I see on Facebook or on the television at the other side of the world. And that's true. We have to care for the poor, wherever they are. But if we don't care for those who are right in front of us, we're doing the priest and Levite thing. We're passing by on the other side. It's local. Love is here and now, immediate. Jesus came to the here and now, to a local place to demonstrate the mercy of God. So what are we doing in Charleston and in our neighborhood? How are we showing the the mercy of God in the way we go there? Keep praying for the Aspire project. Showing mercy. And I want us to look, uh, secondly, in application at life. Uh, What does this mean towards life? Verse 37 Jesus says at the end of the whole parable, well, you must go and do likewise. You must show mercy. Go and do likewise. But in verse 27, when he'd asked about the, um, the, the fulfilling of the law, uh, how you inherit eternal life, he said, do this, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, and you will live. You will live. It's life. Now, these two commands, I used to dodge them theologically. I don't know about you if you've ever, ever done this. This is a confession's time. Um, uh, I, I used to think that Jesus was answering this man because it was a trick question. And so he's answering him um, according to that man's need to drive him to the inescapable reason that he needs a rescuer. He needs mercy. Go and try and fulfill the law. Do it and you'll live. But implication being no man can do the law perfectly and live and therefore when you come to an end of yourself because you've come to an end of your trying and you've failed then you'll come to me for mercy that's how I used to think about this parable that um, we don't believe in salvation by works in reformed situations but that's trying to dodge a direct command from Jesus We are commanded to be merciful. Do this likewise, Jesus says, with no get-out clause. um, Go ahead and do it. It's an inescapable command for us. So where is our vision? And where is our compassion and our pity? Paul, in that passage I just mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2, when he talks about the the great rich mercy of God and the great love of God, at the end of it says, we are saved, we are rescued for this purpose, by grace that we might walk in good deeds, which God prepared in advance for us to walk in. Good deeds are the, and deeds of mercy, they are the response 
to the gospel, the response to the mercy of God. Jesus is described in Acts 10.38 as one who went around healing people and doing good. And he commands us in this passage to do likewise. To be like the Samaritan. To show undeserved mercy, costly mercy, practical mercy. Not theoretical, but real. Do this and you will live, Jesus says. And there's the promise. There is life to be found in being a channel of God's mercy to other people. Real life, adventure, something that men long for. This is not the pseudo-valor of World of Warcraft or the pseudo-romance from pornography. This is real love and real valor for real men to make a real difference in this world. Do this and you will live says Jesus. Finally, I want us to think about where Jesus comes into this story. Uh, I saw him in this story when I was studying it, and then I read the commentaries, um, and Leon Morris said, uh, obviously, uh, people throughout the generations have seen the Good Samaritan as a picture of Jesus, um, but that's not what the story's about. I'm thinking, that's my sermon blown. Now, we don't allegorize. That's what the church has done. So you have from Augustine uh, interesting little details. The two silver coins are the two sacraments. Really? And uh, the inn is the church, our mother church, where we're taken care of. Really? Uh, That's not what I'm talking about when we want to try and find Jesus in this. Remember, it is a discussion about the fulfillment of the law. Um, How may I receive uh, eternal life? What does it say in the law? You're the expert. You tell me. Because Jesus is the one who comes to fulfill the law. He is the Lord of the covenant. And what the Lord of the covenant delights to show is mercy. And right through the Old Testament, again and again, you have this word, which can be translated as mercy. It's steadfast love in most modern translations. Chesed love. Steadfast covenant love. Rescuing love. A love that took undeserving people from Egypt and made them into a nation for his own, that he would be their God and they would be his family, his children. And Jesus comes as the Lord of the covenant to demonstrate mercy and to bring mercy. And so he fills this parable with deeper meaning. Jesus lays down in love his life for his neighbor. Jesus didn't fall into the hands of robbers. It was God's set purpose and foreknowledge that he should be handed over to death. For the sake of sinners. And Jesus himself said, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. His death was no accident waiting to happen unintended consequences of speaking out against the system. 
It was planned, determined. He decided when, and he decided when to be raised at the Father's mercy. In love, he fulfills the law of mercy. In love, Jesus sees our need and has compassion as the Samaritan did on us. That he sees us. He sees where you are at the moment. I am invisible, Lord. Not to me you are. Nobody can see me in this dead-end job. Nobody knows the troubles that I'm going through here. I see you. I take pity on you. I will rescue you from that. In love, he has compassion. He looked at Jerusalem and in compassion weeped over the city that he would have mercy on it, who stoned the prophets and rejected the word of God. In compassion, he looks on us to rescue us. In love, he spends not just a portion of his wealth, two silver coins, but spends his whole life, his blood shed like a sacrificial animal on a cross, his life given up so that we who deserve death might live, his death in our place. In mercy, in love, he rescues us, not from our wounds, but by his wounds we are healed. He rescues not from a half-death situation, but a whole spiritual death situation, and by his whole death. No half-measures in the love of Jesus. He becomes our neighbor that he might love us properly, incarnated into our flesh and blood so that he might be the rescuer to show the mercy of God to us. Jesus wants to show us mercy. He does not have to. There are no obligations on him. Peter says in his first letter that because of the great mercy, I praise God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, we have been given new birth into a living relationship through Christ and his resurrection from the dead. His mercy is great, says Peter. And Paul says, as I just quoted earlier on, that God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Let's finish with that one thought. How many here are rich? Many want to be rich. Sorry. Preachers are supposed to be poor. As they say, you keep them poor. we'll keep them poor, Lord. You keep them humble. About ministers, right? What is it? I don't know what it's like to be rich. So that's what I'm saying. What does it mean to be rich? It means you can spend uh, what you need and what you want even without having to worry about it. There's no such thing as too much month left at the end of the money when you're rich. You have an ability. You have a competence. You have a freedom when you're rich. That's the good side of being rich. You, you, the Bible talks about being rich and generous in good deeds and, and helping other people. That that's one of the things about being rich. Now, God is rich in mercy. He can spend his mercy on you again and again and again and not run out. He is the Lord of the covenant who comes with mercy to those who have broken the covenant. He is the God of love whose love is steadfast 
and never runs out. Our God is rich in mercy. Jesus is rich in mercy. I think it's seeing him that we want to change. It's one thing to be told, go and do likewise, and do it legalistically, fearfully, out of a sense of duty. It's another thing to say, do this and live, because we have seen mercy and received mercy and want to share mercy. Let's pray. We could not do it for ourselves, but you did it for us. And for this we are profoundly thankful, King Jesus, that in the love of the Father you came to us and come to us now by the Spirit and ask us to share with you what it is is troubling us and where we need mercy. For you have a rich store of mercy that will never run out. Indeed, you talk of it as mercies, for they are multiple and multiplied to us. Help us not just to understand this truth, but to be changed by it here and now as your Holy Spirit works in our midst so that we become merciful and then we'll be happy. For happy are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Dot .org Thanks for listening.